Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Welcome to episode 36. I know after last episode, I'm sure you're wondering, how did Laura's new project go? Laura, how did it go? Well, we launched on September 6th, and I am pleased as punch. Well, nothing like a deadline to make sure you get everything done. That's true. By the way, that last week when you were getting everything in, there were nights when she came into the house a little frustrated when the technology was not working the way it was supposed to. Yeah. You do always have to give yourself extra time to deal with the tech. But it it launched, and you already have a nice handful of students who have purchased your teaching program. What's it called again? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's called A Musician's Guide to Improv comedy and it's an online course so people take it at their own pace once they get it they have it forever they can go as fast or slow as they want i've actually even gotten some good feedback from people who have started taking a lessons excellent and here's the part that laura did not want to do and it, and neither one of us are very good at the marketing part of it yeah i think a lot of artists in general are just not that into marketing yeah your product is you. And it's like, oh, am I selling myself? What am I doing here? <laughs> but luckily, Laura has a student, a Kenzie. What's her last name? Kenzie Slotto. Kenzie Slotto. And we were talking about it one day. And it turns out she's like, I love doing marketing. And I went to school for it. <laughs> it's like when you find an accountant who goes, oh, I love working with numbers. Good. You work with the numbers and I'll just do the creative stuff. Exactly. So Kenzie's one of those very talented people. Like she also is great with tech, which is fantastic. She understands social media, which I barely do. (laughs) So she's been a great person to work on this project. Yeah. And the next step is you're doing podcasts. I am. I'm cheating on you and doing another podcast. What? Oh, that's fine. Um, so I'm going to do Jimmy Corain's podcast. Jimmy, we knew in Chicago, and he's kind of an improv guru now, he isn't he? He is. He's Mr. Hotshot, Mr. <laughs> Bigwig. Well, I look forward to hearing those podcasts that you do with other people. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Thank you so much. The other big excitement is that this weekend, we're going to be teaching and performing live with an improv group down in San Diego. In person. In person. We haven't done that in a year and a half. Over a year and a half. Nothing like a pandemic to make you appreciate what you had before. We're so excited to actually be in the same room with our students. (laughs) We both really miss it, don't we? Yeah. It's good to be working, you know. You know, it's funny, having grown up on the farm... I sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not working enough if I'm not really physically working hard and sweating, because that's where I grew up on the farm. (laughs) But we're working. It's good. It's a very different kind of work, though, isn't it? Oh, oh. So last month, we were on the farm. And of course, I immediately go out and start working with my brother, Rob. And I forget how hard that guy works. And it was really hot and steamy, too. We would come inside. It looked like we were swimming because our clothes were soaking wet. But we were doing physical work. We were rebuilding a fence that had been put in probably 40 or 50 years ago. And all these trees had grown up in the fence row. So you have to remove all the old fence, all the old posts, and all those trees. And then you set new fence posts. By the way, Laura... 
Where do you think fence posts come from? Well, I know because I watched you do it. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's the trees we cut out. Those will become fence posts when we clean them up. You know, branches, some branches are big enough to be a fence post, some of the trunks of the trees. But the thing is, when you take all these fence posts, they're not straight fence posts from Home Depot. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're crooked and they're... They're knotty. Right, right. Rough. They're full of knots and rough. But my brother, I guess he's turned into a bit of a philosopher because he said, you know, these fence posts are like people. They're not perfect, but boy, you put them in the ground right and get them in a straight row and they can do a job together. He is a philosopher. That's right. And speaking of the farm, the story in this episode, well, it starts on the farm, but then it travels to L.A., right? Just like me. <laughs> Just like you. The story for this episode is called Glimpses of Grace. Invariably, when I go back to my farm in central Illinois, people ask me, Rick, how do you live out there with all those fruits and nuts there in Los Angeles? I try to tell them, yeah, there are nuts in L.A., but there are plenty in Greene County, too. I would hazard to say that per capita, there are probably as many nut jobs in Greene County as we have here in L.A. As a matter of fact, on one trip back to the farm, my brother called me while I was driving down and told me that the police were looking for a guy who had killed his dad and burned down their house to cover up the murder. He said, well, they think he's hiding in the neighbor's cornfield, so be careful when you're driving through that part. <laughs> there are plenty of nut jobs back on the farm, but there are a lot of great folks, too, both in L.A. and on the farm. The reality is, stories of stupidity perpetrated by nut jobs makes the news, while stories of good-hearted people doing kind things get lost. So, here's one of those good stories set in Los Angeles. You probably know the actor Ronnie Cox. If you don't recognize his name, you've seen him on TV or in movies. He's been in a ton of stuff. As a matter of fact, I looked him up on IMDb, the industry database, and he has 144 credits listed. Just for comparison, Robert De Niro has 120 credits. Ronnie's first big film was Deliverance with Ned Beatty, Burt Reynolds, and John Voight. He was the guy that played the guitar with the little hillbilly boy in the iconic dueling banjos scene. Oh, I hear some of you saying right now, Oh, that guy, I know him. But before Ronnie was an actor, he was a well-known musician, a great songwriter, and a gifted storyteller. And he still does all of that. My wife Laura and I were in a band, The Sweet Potatoes, for ten years with our friend Kelly McLeod. And one night, we were pretty excited to do a show because we were opening for Ronnie Cox. Now, our paths had crossed with him several times, and Laura's actually sat in playing with Ronnie a couple times. But opening for him, oh, that was pretty cool. Everything went well, and afterwards, we were packing up our gear, and we stopped and were talking to Ronnie. And this stranger came up from the audience. He was carrying this beat-up old guitar, and he said, Hey, Ronnie, do you recognize this? Ronnie said no at first. Then I saw his face change, and he said, Is that her? And the stranger said, Yeah. It turns out Ronnie had donated that guitar to the Pasadena Playhouse to be put in a fundraising auction for the theater about 30 years ago, and this guy had bought the guitar for 200 bucks way back then. 
They talked a little bit, and Ronnie held that guitar like a precious relic from a museum. Finally, he said, I would love to have this guitar again. Would you sell it to me? And the guy said, Oh, no, no, I just brought it here tonight to see if you'd autograph it for me. Ronnie said, Can I change your mind about that? Now, I figured I knew Ronnie well enough that I could add my two cents, so I turned to the stranger and said, Hey, man, you should ask for a million bucks. I bet Ronnie will pay it. Ronnie turned to me and he said, Hey, Rick, you remember that box backstage? I said, Uh, what box? That box you can stand on to kiss my ass. <laughs> then he proceeded to tell this story. He said, The first big movie scene I ever did was the dueling banjo scene in Deliverance, and that was a big movie, and I was working with some big-time actors. But when I had this guitar in my hands, I felt relaxed. I knew what to do with this guitar, and she was like an old friend. That's how I was able to get through it. When he finished the story, the stranger handed him the guitar and said, You can have her. Ronnie said, How much? The stranger said, Nothing. It's not my guitar. It's yours. It's always been yours. I was just holding on to it for you for the last thirty years. Wow. What a blessing that I got to be there to watch that interchange between two strangers. I like to call moments like that glimpses of grace, a kind and loving gesture from one person to another. They happen everywhere, on the farm and in L.A. And in this day and age, when there's so much bad news and name-calling and divisiveness, I think we have to embrace the good things that happen around us. I mean, we're all part of a big old toss salad, and I'm proud to be one of the fruits and nuts in that bowl. So that was a really powerful moment. Yeah, you were right there. So, oh, sorry, I didn't include you in the story. That's okay. I was like a side character That's in that right, story. That's right, right, right. But it was so powerful, and Ronnie got kind of teary-eyed. Oh, yeah. It was an emotional moment. It was a powerful, emotional moment. Yeah. And I found out the guy's name, the stranger. His name was Sean. And after that, he came to several of our sweet potato shows. He's yeah, such a nice, a nice guy. guy. Obviously, from the story, he's a nice guy. But you get to know him, too, and he's a really nice guy. And, you know, sometimes I feel like we're name-dropping to talk about Ronnie Cox. But of all the people, Ronnie is just a down-to-earth guy. Yeah. He wants to be just a regular guy. I heard a quote from him once where he said... You know, if you're too famous, you lose all your anonymity and your private life. But he wants to be, and he is, famous enough that he gets offered jobs because people know his work and know who he is. And I know how that is. Occasionally, I'll get a call from a casting director or a producer, and I'll get offered a job without having to audition. And it's like having <laughs> your cake and eating it, too. You're just the right amount of famous. Well, that's what I'm shooting for is just the right amount of famous. Thank you. <laughs> you know, one thing different about living in L.A. than back on the farm is you actually do bump into famous people every now and then. I was in a parking lot once going into a store, and there was an old guy loading a big painting in the back of his car, and he was having trouble. And so I went over to help him. He turned around. It's Peter Falk. 
<laughs> and and he's he just looks like Columbo, and he's like, I'm like, can I help you? And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be that'd be great. Thanks for helping me there. And I'm like, Wow, he is Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote that show for him. And the time my parents came to visit, and I was like, Mom, Dad, you know, you don't run into famous people all the time in L.A. It's not like they're just, like, on every street corner. And they're like, okay, okay, but I hope we see some famous people. I'm like, it might not happen. And then, at the baggage claim, there's Dick Van Dyke. (laughs) (laughs) At Southwest baggage claim. Yeah, he was on Southwest. Yeah, (laughs) it wasn't some fancy airline. And my mom was like, yeah, you don't run into famous people all the time. One day I was going for a mountain bike ride, and there's a trail only a couple miles from us, but I have to ride through some neighborhoods to get there. And I was almost to the trailhead, and all of a sudden, who comes walking by but Steven Spielberg? He's walking his dogs. And I'm like, this is so cool. And I said to him as I passed, I said, hey, love your movies. And he said, oh, thanks, man. And I went for my bike ride. A couple days later, I did the same ride about the same time, and I saw him again. And as I went by him, it wasn't Steven Spielberg. It's a guy that looks like Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Maybe it's Steven's cousin, Joey Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great that I said, I love your movies. And he said, thanks, man. It must happen a lot. Yeah, it's just not worth saying, no, I'm not. Right, to some idiot on a bicycle. (laughs) Well, that's just further proof that you can take the boy off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the boy. I will take that as a compliment. Thank you, honey. It is. Thanks for joining us. See you next episode. Bye-bye.